Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Welcome back to another episode of River Life's Bible Streams podcast. My name is Scott. I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Luton. Oh, what a joy it is to be in the studio it today. Is, it is a special joy. Yeah, it is. It is. We're so excited for it's this It's the episode. winter months in Brisbane, Australia. It we is. have winter. Sometimes uh, it goes for two whole days mm. and we are on one of those two whole cold days in Brisbane. Yet our hearts are strangely warmed. Yep. Because we get to talk about the Bible. It's true, it's true. You're a little bit sick, but you can't... Can you tell? No, you can't Oh, no. No, it's fine. Hey, uh, this this podcast is uh, looking at the Bible. We really value the Bible. And and yeah, we just love just opening it up and looking into it, exploring it. And so, uh, yeah, that's what this whole show is about. Um, But Joe, we are... In for a treat today. We've got something special. What's happening? It's very special. Today marks the beginning of our second year of podcast. Wow. We are, we're having a one, a month, a month, <laughs> having our first anniversary podcast. That's right. Episode for Bible Streams. We release fortnightly, so this is um, now officially episode twenty-seven. Yes, we've done twenty-six whole episodes that have covered the whole year, and so we're going to kick into our second year with a bit of a review, with a bit of a highlights package with some of our favorite clips from some of our favorite guests. Um, ironically, one of them is from us, so <laughs> maybe we're our own favorites. Nice. Um, but yeah, we'll just kind of recap some of the, the things that we've really enjoyed in the last year uh, that we trust you've been blessed by, and uh, yeah, kind of set ourselves up to move into whatever we have next. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. Yeah, so it's been a fun year. Man, we've covered a lot of... Th- uh, topics, a lot of different books of the Bible, uh, a lot of different themes, and man, probably it must be up over maybe forty hours of it's a fair bit content. Yep, if you think about twenty six, yeah, probably yeah. around there, easy somewhere. Easy. We could have looked that up. Well, I mean, we spent what about nine weeks just doing a straight scripture overview. That's where we started, cover to cover of yeah, the Bible. That's exactly where we started. We did skip the um, index and maps. Yeah, that's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> We covered them in Acts. They, are, they were post-canonization. Post yeah. yeah. Uh, then we jumped into, um, yeah, a whole different... Uh, <laughs> it's Bible nerd jokes. Yeah. It's brilliant. And then we jumped into a couple more books. Uh, we jumped into Ephesians. Yes. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Mm. Six chapters, six episodes. Um, so much goodness. Man, there's so much there. Uh, and we could, I think we could have done six more. In fact, there's so much. We, we're going to ask this question later, but um, that was definitely my favorite. That yeah. was my favorite. Spoilers. S- favorite series. Yeah. Yeah. It yes. was just fun. And like, man, the way that it's written, um, yeah, it's just awesome. All the doctrine and all mm. the like deep theological points up the front, yep. first three chapters, and then he breaks it down for us, which is so cool. He breaks yeah. it down into all practical um, applications uh, and so good. pastoral so good. stuff. Yeah. So I really, I really enjoyed that. And mm. the one thing for me that stood out from that was... Um, that the church is uh, so important. Um, the mm, church yeah, is the bride on. of Christ, yes, but the church is actually how the whole universe yeah. is going to know the love of God. It's the, yeah, the vessel for the revelation of God's yeah. love. That's like, crazy, right? Oh, that was so crazy to oh. just look at that. 
and like see it as the church being like this play that the whole universe is looking at going like wow what is god like so good it's it's like the church so so it's like the love that that is seen in the church yeah Mm. that was like what the heck well we're on favorites uh i think for me um so many favorites and particularly hebrews i love the book of hebrews, hebrews. and yeah. there's we'll, yeah. we'll play a clip from that a little oh, later yeah. on but i think probably for me just hearing some of the guests we had in uh, in our bible overview just hearing them share from their experience and their depth of knowledge just mm. it staggers me how people can contain that much information in their brains and understand what god's revealed through scripture mm. so particularly um gary miller was just Oh, that was fun. Far out. Man, that guy just knows his stuff. And Again, he, we're yeah. going to, we'll give you a preview of that in a sec. But yeah, yeah. spectacular, spectacular. We also had, uh, yeah, a few other guests on. If you missed those episodes because you hadn't uh, tuned in, mm. uh, because we released them uh, pretty early on, we had a couple yeah, of guests. Almost in. a year ago. Literally, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can go check them out. If you, uh, yeah, just look it up on whatever, however you get your podcasts. We'll, uh, we'll, Link in the show notes for this. You can go and look at all of our previous episodes. It's yeah. all linked in there, so you can see that pretty easy. Yeah. Any other highlights um, for for the podcast channel? We um we've had a lot of downloads. Um, we so true confessions. We recently uh, upgraded our our podcast hosting platform. Yeah. Well, which same, kind of reset a bunch of our yeah. stats. So we don't have accurate stats yeah. for the whole year, but we do know that we get a whole lot of different listeners around the world. I think the UK is our second highest yep. listening after Australia. And then I think the it's US after that. the Commonwealth of Australia on our... It is the Commonwealth of Australia. Anyway, after Number one, the Commonwealth yeah. of Australia. But it is wild that we get people listening all around the world. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. A um, couple, couple hundred downloads in the UK... And then thirdly, US, and then Nuts. down from there. Yeah. I think um, the other thing that always warms my heart, this is showing my true colors here, is that by far and away, the most used platform for downloading podcasts <laughs> is still Apple <laughs> in all its uh, various forms. It's Apple. True. It's streets true. ahead yep. like okay. to like orders of magnitude so you know so if you chances f- are if you're <laughs> listening right now you're listening on some kind of Apple device it's true but if you're not the challenge is put out to you Samsung users oh come on raise the bar that's right get more of your Samsung friends Great. listening come on love it love come it. on now's your opportunity to shine <laughs> nice oh and another fun episode was just our our actually most recently released episode besides this one. Yes. Was, we did a live episode. So good. That was so much fun. We're going to look at how we can do a few more of those, yeah. I think, in, in the, the months ahead. Yeah. I think it's good fun doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's heaps of fun. Takes all the pressure off. You're just doing it live. Just go for it. <laughs> Rip the bandaid off. Just jump in. Um, but that, that was really fun. That was really good. I think one of the things that's really um, stood out for me this year is that um, when we've been going through particularly books of the Bible, when we did Ephesians and Hebrews and that kind of thing, we do a lot of background reading and research and preparation. I figure that's that's important to do. But on the way through, um, it's been a really interesting year. I've picked up a lot of other books uh, on yeah, on biblical studies yeah. that have been really helpful for me and quite influential. I think probably the number one, which I have talked about a fair bit already, 
this year, but I'll mention it again, is Robert Alter's work, um, The Art of Biblical Narrative and The Art of Biblical Poetry. I'm kind of at various stages of reading both of them. I've been jumping forward and back as I go. And um, it's so powerful to have scripture kind of reframed to kind of just start to connect the dots and just have fresh life jump off the page when you start to see those yeah. type scenes and you start to see those repeated themes and, you know, you start to actually think, wow, as I'm reading this, this has been crafted intentionally under the guidance of God to speak something to me. And so when I hear someone's inner monologue or when I don't, yeah. that's actually giving me that's an insight sign. into the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like we see like those little things, like we see lots of David's life. Well, we rarely, if ever, see his motivations for why he does sure. it. He yeah. just does things. Yeah. And then we find out later he's a man after God's own heart. And so it's really interesting to just notice those yeah, things true. on the page. True. I know I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel just in my devotions lately. And um. When you just stop and read closely what's happening and, and take your time to read the text, not kind of presume that I've already understood it because I've read it a few times before. It's just, it's really refreshing to have the text speak out, um, you know, where he says kind of jump up and down and clap your hands and stamp your feet. And it's like, he was actually probably doing that. So Gazeka's like this crazy dude in the square in Babylon and he's <laughs> yeah. just jumping around, banging and like... You know, you can kind of just gloss over that and just get to the whatever the next big thing is. Mm. But it's really interesting just to stop and see and kind of, for me, it's helped draw me into the the lived experience of the people who are represented mm. in Scripture, which so is cool. really powerful. So cool. And I, I think one of the other big takeaways uh, for me is that, yeah, obviously God's speaking, um, but we have to understand the content yeah, uh, and, and the context yeah. of the, the text. And we, we talked about this recently in our previous episode, um, Live from Found. Mm. But yeah. That's kind of what we're doing in this podcast. We're yeah. looking at that and how, how it kind of works. And, mm. and yeah, so taking the time to do some pre-reading maybe. Mm. But the flip of that is also then slowing down and maybe putting aside your Bible reading plan. Mm. It, sounds, it sounds like I'm against the Bible by saying that. But no, Blasphemer. I'm actually suggesting that maybe we slow down and read a verse and then just read it again. And yeah. then keep reading it for the next week and then keep reading it for the week after that. And maybe, maybe God's going to speak through through that means as well. Yeah, we just um, recently at River Life had a guest speaker in for our worship conference, um, Chandi Thomas from Life Center in the States. And he was sharing at the conference about, you know, particularly from a worship space, but for any of us as we come into God's presence, the absolute value and power of meditating upon God's word, of just taking time to, to soak it in. And he read out of Psalm 19, um, verse 14, he's what he used. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This idea mm. of just letting it all just kind of just sit in there and soak through you and taking mm. the time to let it do that, you know. Uh, like we've said before, heaps of times it's actually all about relationship. Yeah. Like it's all drawing us into relationship with God through our relationships with each other, through our understanding, our relationship with the word. Um, and so letting it actually just kind of soak in us yeah. is so important. It's great. Another author that we've kind of highlighted, not specifically for any reason, just because he resonates with uh, or we resonate with his Yes, it's probably better. <laughs> yeah. He not, agrees with me. <laughs> no, it's not that way around. Uh, would be N.T. Wright. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we we linked to the day the revolution began in one of our episodes. Yes. But his, uh, his massive series on um, uh, Christian origins and the question of God, that whole series that's got uh, you know, Paul and the faithfulness of yep. God and the uh, victory of the atonement and yep. uh, Jesus. Day the revolution began. No, that's the that's, other one. Yeah. But yeah, cool. 
Um, that whole series that yeah. while they're huge and really meaty and quite academic, they're just so powerful in just kind of helping us anchor our understanding in the world of particularly the New Testament. Because he's a historian. Yeah, he's a historian and, and, uh, and theologian together. And so yeah. that's been really powerful. Yeah. But um, the one of the things I love about how N.T. Wright does what he does is that he'll write these massive academic volumes that are just huge. Like Paul and the Faithfulness of God is in two volumes that are about – two and a half, three inches thick each. They're they're They're, so stupid. There's about two and a half thousand pages in the two books. But then he writes a little easier, lighter versions of those books for people to kind of start with to get their head around the concepts if they're not academically minded. And so books like Paul, a biography, that's really helpful. That's his Uh, most famous one. That's that's his most recent one, yeah. Also most sold one ever. Yeah, and books like Surprised by Hope and things like that. They're kind of... Or bit, like Matthew for everyone. Yeah, they're a bit more approachable yeah. if you don't have a theological degree. Yeah. Uh, and even with one, I still struggle to read oh. the other ones. So yeah. like this guy's brain is spectacular. Yeah. So yeah, anti rights always really uh, good. Also Gordon Fee. Also... Yes. Uh, Gordon he, Fee's great book, God's Empowering Presence. God's... Again, yep. another couple of inches thick. <laughs> and then he's got a... Also similarly, he's yeah. got a book for everyone called uh paul the spirit and the people of god i think yeah that's yeah. really good they're both good yeah uh and then also eugene peterson also came up yeah. quite a lot uh well particularly long obedience in the same direction and then in ephesians we yeah referenced a couple of times as well yeah so his his <laughs> what was that yeah. one called practice resurrection that's it yeah. of course yeah 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 so um they're both brilliant books uh, and again anything eugene writes is so good. It was a big loss the for message? him to pass away this year. It was anything he writes is is great. Um, even like his his take on scripture with the message yeah. is a great way of just refreshing our view of it and yeah. understanding it from a particular perspective. Uh, it was a big loss for him yeah. to pass away this year. Yeah, um, but yeah, what a contribution! Mm. So many good books. Mm. His yeah, his spiritual theology series definitely worth getting a hold of. Actually, on that, that was another good episode we did. We did. Um, different translations of the Bible. Yes, we did. That was fun. So yeah, if you want really to know more about, you know, some of the theory, I guess, behind why certain books are um, certain... Versions. Why there are certain versions of the Bible, uh, go back and check it out. I think mm. it's called like Bible Translations or something yeah, like that. something like that, yeah. Episode link it 15, as well. 20 It's going to link there. every episode. <laughs> every single episode. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. It's quite important to be thoughtful about you know, how we engage with the scriptures and, and what we're reading, because like we said back in that episode, you know, um, all translation is interpretation at some level because we're taking yeah. something that's from a cultural stream from 2000 years ago or four to 5,000 years ago and trying to just throw it into a cultural understanding that we have today, yeah. which is, you know, really hugely different. So different, yeah. In fact, which leads me probably to the other person that I've quoted a fair bit this year would be John Walton mm-hmm. uh, and his, particularly his book, The Lost World of the Torah, but his Lost World series, so he's got a Lost World of Genesis uh, 1 to 3, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, The Lost World of the Hebrew, con- or the Israelite Conquest, a whole bunch of books in that series. Um, and he talks a lot about how we need to kind of step out of our cultural stream and back into the cultural stream of the mm. the biblical authors to kind of get what they're saying first before we try and adapt it into yeah. modern application, which is hugely, hugely important. Uh, but they're interesting books to read. They're very easy books to read. They're set up in a whole series of, of propositions. He goes, here's, here's a, a point to understand and explains the point and then builds off that. So interesting books to read. There's just an argument the whole way through the book. So, um, yeah, definitely would recommend those for a different perspective on how to read the scriptures. There you go. If, uh, if any of them 
if you want to buy any of them, literally we're going to put a link in our show note. You can buy it off. To, <coughs> you can go ahead and buy it off Book Depository. And, and if you do, we actually get a little bonus back to the podcast. Oh, it's true. At no cost to you, yeah. some of the price of the book will come back to help us. It's true. So very helpful. Just so like, if you buy through the show notes, brilliant. All right. Well, here we go. We're going to jump into some of our favorite episodes. Yes. Yeah. Three. Little, little highlight reels. Little highlight reels, but they're still solid chunks. This is like the end of year sports reel package. You know, like at the <laughs> yeah. end of the season, we're going to see yeah. all the highlights. Well, not all of them, but no, some, of, some them. of them. Yeah. We do need to put it to a, like a, an amp up rock song. Though. Yeah, that would be cool. Get some Nickelback cool. or something <laughs> behind. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's just a shout out for my kids who love to tease me with Nickelback. Nickelback. So we're going to kick off (laughs) with uh, one of our very first episodes. This is, I think it's episode number three. Something like that. uh, Which was uh, uh, a part of our overview of the Bible Mm. um, series. We're going to jump in and look at the Pentateuch with with Dr. A.J. Culp. And like I said, this is the very start of... uh, the very start of our whole year, I guess. Um, and we're looking at, yeah, the first five books of the Bible. Um, he's got an incredible, um, man, just recall, but also just knowledge, and especially, um, yeah, through Deuteronomy. Mm. He's also got incredible stuff throughout wisdom, literature, and mm. stuff as well. But, yeah, his, uh, his stuff on the Pentateuch is awesome. Let's check it out. Maybe we should jump in there. Yeah. Because I feel like Genesis 12 is a bit of a, bit of a big mm. chapter for us mm. um, as followers of God. What <laughs> happens at this chapter that kind of changes the course of, of humanity, I guess? Yeah, good. Well, and in a lot of ways, you know, we can't be, begin at 12 without understanding 1 through 11. And mm-hmm. this whole idea of, okay, so what's, the, what's going on in 1 through 11? Well, what we find is the world um, ordered and created as it was meant to be, humans in, in a good spot with, with God and, and creation, which they're, you know, entrusted to care for. And then all that goes sideways, right? Because, mm-hmm. again, of, of, you know, human sin and things. And so really what happens, um, I think that Gerhard von Rad, um, the German scholar, said at the, at the end of um, Genesis 11, we are left with a question, basically, I'm going to get this wrong, but <laughs> we're left with the question of, is there any hope for humanity? You know, mm-hmm. what now is left for the relationship between God and humanity? And that's what Genesis 12 is picking up on. It's saying, now God called a man Abraham, or right. Abram back in those days, right? Because uh, that, that kind of last bit of that first section, the last few chapters, is the whole Tower of Babel, Babel yeah. issue right. and people trying to is it become like God or build a tower God. to God. Well, and, that's right. You and find, ascend and all this kind of stuff, and it's not going right. well. You find the same old problem, right? You you try you find essentially um, in biblical language, you find humans trying to be like God instead of being what they were made to be. You know, which is God's image, right? Yeah. And so, um, huh. and and so, basically, you find this brokenness in the world that has reached a, a shrill dissonance, as von Rod calls it. You know, essentially, again, the idea of will it just all fall apart? Yeah. And and that's what Abraham or Abram again when he comes on the scene is is meant to address and that is and we find this especially in you know like um, I think it's eighteen and nineteen it talks about the whole point of God's covenant with Abraham why he chooses this person and family for himself um, is again to basically so that he may know God and teach others to know God mm. and that is to bring you know again uh, to bring the relationship back into right order in the mm. world right. I suppose in in the fear of getting too pastoral too early, um, that's quite relevant for today. Mm. That was it. Shrill dissonance is you know 
often what I think I know a lot of the, the people I talk to who are people of faith and, and, and people of, of God, they're aware of the world that we're in and the lack of God in it mm. or the lack of um, what they've perceived in the past as the values of, of God and, and his mm. character. And so that's quite timely even just at that point just to go, oh, hang on, this isn't um, an old story that's been and gone and done. This is our story still. Very much. And again, I think that is the the whole point of the Pentateuch is it's meant to be seen that way. That is, in some ways, it's ancient history. In other ways, it, it's it's the world that we live in. Wow. It's life. That's right? really awesome. you know? that's, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. All right. So we're in Genesis 12. Mm. And here is um, Abraham's, I guess, approach by God. And he and God actually gives Abraham a covenant. He gives Abraham uh, some words some, um, yeah, a commitment almost to him that he would be a blessing to the whole world. Mm. And that... No pressure. That, no pressure. <laughs> and no pressure at all. Like, <laughs> Don't mess this up, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think of that, do you? Like, no, true. Like, what are you, like, in that moment, like, okay, I, I'm used to these gods being silent and you know, being like wooden statues. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm hearing this voice. Yeah. It's saying, look, just so you know, I want everyone to know who I am because how you're going to live. I'm like, oh, yeah. No. And the hope of the world rests on your dysfunctional shoulders. Because, <laughs> I mean, right, that's, that's what happens in it Genesis. Like old, that's like right? this incredible, wow. like, dysfunctional family. Yeah. Again, but again, that's part of the message, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. In the mess, God works, right? That's true. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, I will. Um, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) But from this moment on, that's a commitment that the Lord sticks to. From that moment on, uh, all throughout scripture, this is something that he's spoken into the world and he, he, commits to it and mm. he does so and uh, you know that's seen in his descendants in Isaac and then in Jacob um, a similar kind of picture as well mm. a similar um, phrasing even and mm. different pictures that come up you'll be like your descendants will be like the sand on the shore or like the stars in the sky mm. and so how does this story unfold mm. how does it go from here to Jesus like there's a lot to cover <laughs> no, pressure. no pressure no <laughs> pressure uh, especially in, in the Pentateuch, like wh- where does the story go from here? Yeah, good. So first of all, we should just um, say that that the covenant or the re- <clears throat> essentially the sworn relationship with Abraham is essentially right, the idea of covenant, um, that God commits to him and he commits to God, right? This is kind of idea. Um, but that's not the first covenant in Scripture because um, we, we find it in, in Genesis 6 through 9, we find the Noahic, you know, the covenant that God makes with Noah. Mm. And so what we find essentially is that, again, God is committed to his creation. He has made it for a purpose. Um, he's committed to his, his creatures, the image bearers especially. Um, and so what we find picked up on is, again, God's continued commitment to, to his image bearers, to, to bear his image, which is the goal, right, and to, to restore mm. creation. Mm. So when we come to Abraham, it's not a new story in some ways. Um, it's a, it's a different story, and it's a narrowing of this relationship. Um, but when we come to it, it's 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 understood as this is part of the whole storyline, as you just said too. I mean, it. Um, so a quick overview of the covenants. Essentially, what we find then is we find the Mosaic covenant after this in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and that is God making a covenant with the people of Israel. So that develops okay. a little further. And then in 2 Samuel 7, we find the Davidic covenant, that is God narrowing it again further yet and says, I will basically choose a royal seed, a royal line, 
and that will be um, the you know basically the conduit of my blessing on the earth. And of course, we know that that is picked up in the New Testament with Jesus. You know, mm. that, that's why Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, begins with this long, boring genealogy. It seems like because <laughs> yeah. it's important to get this straight, right? That, it's like the credits of the story <clears throat> so far, right? Well, that's <laughs> right. It's like well, it's important to know that this guy is from the line of David. Right, I, yeah. You know, if he's not, then who cares about this yeah. this carpenter from Nazareth? Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. Um, but, and again, by the way, though, between those things, what we have essentially is, a, again, a sprinkling in the Old Testament of this, this kind of these glimmers of, of light, of hope, that, that this, um, these older covenants will actually be fulfilled in a new way, um, mm. you know, which comes to be called in the book of Jeremiah, the new covenant. Mm. And again, so when we find Jesus show up on the scene, all these things, this, this expectation of a relationship with God that to restore the world... Um, all these things have been promised through the prophets, through the Pentateuch, through all these things. And so the people are very much expecting and awaiting um, the, the heir of David to come. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? So really, uh, my understanding of what you just said then is that the new covenant was really the original covenant anyway that kind of got narrowed and focused over time but then was kind of taken wide again. So it starts with all the world mm. at the start mm. in the first 11 chapters and then it's this one man that becomes a nation in Moses, then back to one man and his family in David, and then eventually says, well, it'll be new because it'll be for everyone again. And then through Jesus, it's open to everyone. And so really is coming back to that very early covenant with Abraham saying that the whole world's going to be blessed through what I'm doing. Yeah. Is, very, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's a great way to say it. Um, you know, I think um, I think the one thing the new covenant is new about um, is the whole, whole idea that, again, we see even at the end of the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy, um, you know, 36, where God essentially says the covenant's not broken. Because we often say, oh, the old covenant was broken. Yeah. Well, like, the covenant's not broken according to scripture. The people are broken. Yeah. <laughs> and so okay. God essentially says, I'm going to, to accomplish for you what you couldn't accomplish for yourself. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that in Deuteronomy. We find that in Ezekiel. We find that in Jeremiah. And then, of course, Christ, um, we find in the New Testament, the full mm-hmm. fleshing out of that. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Quite literally. Yeah, right? nice pun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ah, I like that. That's good. And, um, ah, that's good. So, so it's not, the covenant hasn't really changed. The agreement that God's made with humanity is still the same. Mm. I'll be yours and you'll be mine. That's kind right. Of deal. Because right. a lot of people would say, oh, the God of the Old Testament. Oh, he's so angry. He's mm. so annoyed. He's so different, mm. different yeah. to Jesus. Yeah. Completely not the image of, of Jesus. And so a lot of people would say that, yeah, there's a difference in the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But you're saying that actually it's not. Yeah, listen, there, there are different perspectives on this. Um, I, I think the historic Christian one um, is very much that it's the same God, right? I mean, different mm. times, different places, different um, you know, workings and events, but um, the same, same God, um, especially New Testament you know, theology, Christian theology, right? The idea of the, uh, that Christ is God incarnate. Mm. Um, well, we, that's difficult <laughs> if it's an old, ever it's a different God in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. But um, no, very much so. Um, you know, listen, I think two things have fed into this idea of uh, being a different God. One, in the U.S. especially, is dispensational theology. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, for people who don't know what that is, good, just a, yeah. uh, the the Wikipedia version of what dispensational theology is. Good, Go. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so dispensation <laughs> no in itself um, is a word that simply means era or time in history, and so dispensational theology. Um, basically holds that during different dispensations or eras in history, God has dealt with people differently. Okay. Um, and so, you know, they will say in different covenants and different times, God, you know, behaved differently. Um, and so, while I don't think dispensationalists would necessarily say that God is a different God in those dispensations that he chose to act differently mm-hmm. is the idea, I think the resulting picture accidentally or maybe incidentally, right. you know, is that God is different. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
And then that, if, so they're sort of kind of saying like um, the way I would relate to my newborn is different to my toddler, to my primary school, to my yeah adult child. That's right. And so it that's changes, right. but the parent's still the same. But what it does is reverse engineers to going well. He just seems to be so different. Yes, that it couldn't be the same. Well, that's right. That's right. And yeah. I think that's the idea. And then of course the other side outside of the church, but which is really filtered into a lot of people's thinking, is the new atheism movement. Mm. Um, you know, Richard Dawkins and these folks. Um, you know, basically saying outright, you know, that the God of the Old Testament is abhorrent morally that he is a monster and um, and so so the, there's again there's probably other things as well <clears throat> but yeah I, I think I think overall though the idea that that Christ is um, the God of the Old Testament and though again he is seems different in some respects because he's he, you know he's living two thousand years after some of the you know the earlier books of the Bible mm. um, that very much same same God. Mm. Good. Which I think is very helpful for us as we grapple with this in you know in the twenty first century mm-hmm. and, and how we how we approach scripture because the reality is we have people around us every day who go that book's old mm. and useless and that God is mm. if he's not made up then he's horrible mm. and so you know getting some continuity there is actually quite important I think it was a big big moment for me realizing that um, and it was in is in a class at Bible college where I realized for the first time oh hang on. God in the Old Testament isn't God the Father of the New Testament. Mm. Like Father, Son, and Spirit, if I have a, a good Trinitarian theology, they're there the whole way through. Mm. And it's not like it's the Father mm. for the first three quarters and all of a sudden Jesus and the Spirit show up. Mm. That's know, right. It's That's God right. as in whatever aspect mm. that, that we see him. He was doing it constantly through the whole of the story. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. Which is a really big, a big mm. kind of like, oh, hang on. Paradigm shift <laughs> yeah. altogether. Yeah. It's like we just meet the rest of the mm. rest of the family later on. No, he's been there the same. Mm. <laughs> the rest of the family. You know, it's, that's it, great. You know, yeah. I think that without a critical apparatus, yeah. if, you know, structured to understand mm. the Bible and have someone just tell you that, you kind of just fall into that space. I mean, it yeah. just seems to be a natural way. Yeah. Well, he seems different, so it must have been a different thing. And we become dispensational without even realizing. Well, that's right. And I think yeah. this is part of the growing um, illiteracy of, of the Old Testament is that, because again, even, um, you know, you're talking about the, the whole role of the Spirit. Well, again, um, the, the major, you know, kind of player in the Old Testament is Ezekiel talking about the Spirit. And, mm. and so the Spirit shows up more, I guess, more majorly in, in the book of Ezekiel because you know, the people are exiled into Babylon. They don't have their normal worshiping holy space. And they yeah. say, how can we know that God is among us? And he essentially says, you will know through my spirit. I mean, there's some other things, but like, and so again, like you're saying, these actually, if we're, if we're familiar and conversant with the Old Testament, we know these things all along. Yeah. Right. But I think it's, it's probably the, the difficulty with the growing illiteracy mm. of the Old Testament. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, we've got these covenants. We've, we've seen this story kind of grow. Then Abraham has this interaction with God. It says mm. the stuff that Scott read out before from, from 12, and I think you said mm. 18. Um, there's a few kind of iterations of that. Um, then we get Abraham's family, don't we, for the rest of mm. Genesis. Right. Um, again, you know, people can go and read this for themselves, and I, and I hope they do. We're not telling history here. We're kind of just showing episodes in the lives of some of these. Right. Um, we call them the patriarchs, right? Right. Um, kind of. How should we read that kind of those? There's a lot of chapters in there and a lot of stories and a lot of weird things and, right. you know, people dying and prostitutes and dreams and crazy stuff, you know, kind of yeah. outside of our experience. You know, to a person today just picking up the Bible, I believe in Jesus, how do I read Genesis? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. So to begin with, um, the, the covenant we're talking about in Genesis 12, um, especially, you know, an easy way to understand it is three Ps with a promise, or a, three Ps with a purpose. Okay. So the promise of God's presence, the, the promise of a place, that is, he's going to give them a land and a place to, to live as a people. 
And so what have I done here? The presence, um, place. place, and the people. That is a seed. So through, through them, those will be the, the three. But again, one of the things, too, is, again, you know, all, all of us religious folk, um, the Jews and Christians alike, have um, wanted to grasp onto those first three. You know, here's our promises of blessing, you yeah. know, that these things, without remembering that all three of these are for the purpose, right? Oh, okay. and so again, right. we talked about that before, that uh, coming on the end of Genesis 1 through 11, the purpose of all these promises that God has made is to bless and restore the world mm. in its brokenness. So we start there. And then what we see is like we talked about, it's it's like um, reality TV yeah. from there on. It's like this... <laughs> It's like <laughs> it's, intense, right? it's, it's a it's the most dysfunctional family we can wow. ever imagine. Um, you know, it's hope for some of us, right? And so, um, <laughs> but but what we see there is that we see these patterns. You know, we see these weird things like Abraham trying to he's scared, so he's like, oh yeah, this my wife is actually not my wife; she's my sister. Here, you can marry her. So you find all this like again, like seriously, That's real, weird. Real, wow. reality TV. It is. Right? Yeah. Twice. It sounds like it. Not once, what? you know. Um, it's you'd like, think you'd learn. You'd think you'd yeah. learn, you know. And even Abimelech, like the pagan king's like, what, what are you doing, man? You know? <laughs> She's clearly not your sister. It's like, yeah. this is weird. Um, you, <laughs> know, he's, he's, you, know, you know, it's bad when you get called out. <laughs> That's right. From a foreign king. This, this foreigner's like, this is, this is not right, guys. <laughs> um, but so what we find is we find these patterns, right? And, and so the question is like, okay, so Abraham does this and his son Isaac does the same stuff, you know? Um, and so we find these things. And then Jacob, Jacob, you know, again, the, the, the grandson, you know, it's like he's, he's terrible. Um, he's lying. He's cheating. You know, his brother, you know, um, Esau wants to kill him because of all the, the – the, so the question, of course, is like, oh, is it just okay because they're God's chosen people, which some people in the past have said, by the way, you know. Really? Okay. Or, huh. or is it trying to show that actually that in, in humanity's brokenness, mm. that in, you know, the people of God's brokenness, that he still actually works, that he still is yeah. somehow sovereign above these events. Wow. And yeah, and that's how I would see it. And so by the end of um, those three patriarch cycles, we get to Joseph, which finishes out the, the book of Genesis. And of course, Joseph isn't a great guy either. You know, he's like, oh, hey, family, you know, mother, father, brothers. Um, I had a dream that you will bow down to me. You know, it's like, so he's, he's not... He's not a likable guy. Um, <laughs> and he's not the oldest in his family either. It's not like you can yeah, just yeah. assume that, right? Yeah, he's no, just he's, some young upstart. Well, and he's, and he's young, but he's a favored. You know? Favorite, yeah. yeah so this is the problem. There's the lesson for you, moms and dads. No favorites. There's there. a lesson. Don't don't give your children multicolored coats. Um, but um, um, but yeah. So anyway, so so we find him, and we find him taken to Egypt and thrown into you know into jail and, and enslaved and all these things. But again, like. God continues to reveal himself yeah. to his people through these times. And um, and so the promises continue little inch by inch, bit by bit, to be developed. Um, and, you know, and so by the end of Genesis, basically what we have is we have um, this, basically the, the reconciliation of the brothers, which mm-hmm. is a big deal. Because, again, we've had family strife the entire yeah, yeah. way through, right? Oh, that's awesome. That's really um, cool. Yeah. And so we have the reconciliation of the brothers. And then interestingly, and this is a really key point in Genesis 49 especially, um, at the end of this long, um, meandering, tragic event of God's promised people, you know, <laughs> these are the bearers of the promise, right? Um, what we find is we find, you know, basically, um, you know, Jacob saying, you know, here's the, pronouncing blessing over his, his sons. And what we find for the for Judah, who will, of course, be, you know, the, you know, the main player as we come into, you know, the later books, um, we find Judah that suddenly his dad says something along the lines of, you know, that 
you will basically bear a scepter, you know, and you will, mm. and from you will come this ruler. And so we, we begin to see this first kind of, not the first, but one of the messianic kind of okay. uh, glimmers, I would say, at the end of Genesis. And so, yeah, just again, for people who may be just unfamiliar with some of the so messianic meaning Messiah, which is the Hebrew version mm. of Christ. So right. we use that as a phrase of kind of saying, this is the stuff that's pointing to mm. Jesus. That's right. Uh, these promises of this one coming who's God's anointed chosen one, which is, I think, what that word means. That's right. So yeah. in Genesis uh, 3.15, what we find is this this um, thing where, you know, you have the whole fall episode and, mm-hmm. and you know, humans rebel against God. Not our finest moment. Talking snakes, all, just everything normal about life going on here, right? And, um, you know, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's so good. But, um, and so basically what, clothes, what, what you, yeah, it's like, no one has clothes on. What is going on here? Um, it's, again, back to reality yeah, TV. This is yeah. just reality TV, guys. Um, but, but no, so we, we have this... Um, we have again God pronouncing um, mm. curses over the you know over the people and the snakes, and he, he, he essentially says, you know, you will basically have enmity between you and and evil, or you know, the the seed of the snake and the seed of the woman. And so you're like, wait, what does that mean? But but then we're promised as well that the that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. That idea that mm. you will defeat evil eventually. So right early on, we're like, wait a minute, what was that? And then it moves on. Then the story moves on. So we're already <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. So we're already moving in that direction where we think, okay, so there will be a seed from the woman who will crush the head of, of the serpent, you know, the evil one. Mm. And so again, at the end of Genesis, then we have this this idea that mm. we have a ruler who will come from the tribe of Judah and he will, you know, rule over the nations mm. and he'll hold the scepter and and again, it's gone then. Then we're on to something else. Yeah. It, but like, so we're beginning to see this development right. of this mm. figure, that there's a figure who will solve the world's problems, who will come from Abraham, who will come from Adam, you know, all these kind of, which again, gets us back to Matthew, right? Yeah. But, awesome. um, so but, yeah. But Jesus coming was not out of the blue. That's right. It started at the beginning. and All the way back then. All the way back then. And now it, it probably wasn't um, this crystallized hope, this mm-hmm. idea that they knew exactly who, right. what he's going to look like and how tall he's going to, mm. but there's an idea of- How it, tall was he? You know, it's like, I don't know. Okay. You know, it's, it's not my area. Yeah, Old Testament, Old stuff, Testament. Right? Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was a, there was very much this um, this kind of sprinkling of the the expectation of a figure who would save them right. and restore the world. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So good. Oh my goodness. Woo! What a beautiful episode, and what yeah. a way to finish as well. Yeah, I just I think it's powerful. Just that, like that that intense expectation of the Messiah coming. Yeah. Like, so exciting. And just to hear that from the beginning, like, mm. whew, right back there. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, very good. One of the other series we did this in this past year was Hebrews, which we mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. And we thought we'd just uh, bring you a grab from that, mm. uh, particularly when we're talking uh, about the temple. Temple's oh, been yeah. a really big point of discussion for us. Well, for me, yeah. I'm interested in it. And so I'm talking to everyone I can about <laughs> it. Uh, and as you hear the grab, you'll hear me talking about it more because that's what I'm interested <laughs> in. Uh, but there's this value, I think, in understanding how uh, the temple presents that place of, of humanity in the divine meeting and how we are that afterwards. And so as we unpacked Hebrews chapter 9, we kind of looked at all of that symbolism and the power in that. So I thought we'd just bring you a little grab from that episode to have a listen to now. All right, so that kind of brings us nicely into chapter nine, yes. which now talks about um, the tabernacle. It, mm. br- it brings in this picture of the tabernacle and I guess in turn the temple. So just, just to quickly summarize, just again, the tabernacle was given to Moses by God um, on the mountain of Sinai. <laughs> in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 25. Um, and and on. <laughs> and onwards. 
and it talks about what it looks like and how it's to be made. Mm. You know, literally, like it's going to be a meter wide, a meter and a half wide, and yep. you know, forty-five cubits high or whatever, and, <laughs> and it's going to be. Don't quote him literally on that. Don't quote you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it talks about the um, the tabernacle being a kind of a tent that moves around mm. in the 40 years of wilderness wandering it's of a Israelites. movable temple. Yep. And then many, many years later, King David actually gets the blueprints for what's going to be the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. We have, David has in his heart to build a house for God. Yep. Like he felt like it was inappropriate that he should have a palace and God has nowhere to live. God's still living in a tent. And so he kind of has it, purposes in his heart to build a house for the Lord. And so mm. God shows him this this big thing, that this what would become the temple in the center of Jerusalem. But he can't build it because he's killed a man. Yeah. And so he gets his son to do it. Yeah, so yep. David pays for it and Solomon builds it. Yep. And we get Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple. Yep. And that's where um, the Jews, like to this day, would be worshipping. Yeah, so it's a temple mount in the middle of, of Jerusalem, uh, which currently has uh, a mosque on it, but that's where it was, like right in the center of that yep. city, of David's city. Um, okay, so now it starts to really tie some... This whole, this whole bit here is really doing some crazy work of tying the tabernacle to Jesus and what he did. Yeah, so this is like chapter 9, verse 1 through to uh, about verse, I think, 10 yep. um, is this first big bit where it really digs into the how the tabernacle was set up and the furniture and all the stuff that happened in there. So let's start, let's check it out. So verse 2, it says, There was a tent prepared. In the first section, there was a lampstand and a table and the bread of presence. Okay, yeah, so what does that talk let's about? orientate ourselves to the tabernacle. So the way it was set up, there's three major sections. Well, kind of four by exclusion. So there was the outside the tabernacle. So there was the camp of Israel. So outside. outside. And then yeah. there was this linen fence that was put up, uh, this area that surrounded the 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 central part of the tabernacle. And so this linen fence was to stop people just wandering accidentally into the middle yep. of what was going on. Yep. And so inside this outer court was a specific building. The outer court um, had in it a big bronze altar where all the offerings were presented, burnt, you know, barbecued. Yep. The sin offerings and the peace offerings and all of that were all presented there. There was a big bronze basin where the where the priests washed themselves. They did these ritual ceremonial washings to make sure they were clean to be able to present this. Um, so that all happened out there. Then there was this smaller tent area in the middle of it, yep. which was kind of rectangular. Um, so it was kind of, if you can divide it up kind of like into three cubes, it was three cubes put together. And the first section of this was kind of two of those cubes long. And in that was a bunch of different stuff. And it was, um, there was a table with bread on it. There was 12 loaves of bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. There was a golden table with this and the bread of the presence, it was called, or the show bread. Um, that's just what they called it. <laughs> uh, it's a different transliterations of different things. But anyway, so there was that and there was a golden lampstand, um, the menorah, which had seven um, branches on it, yep. um, which was to burn and bring light into that sanctuary uh, 24-7. It was always supposed to be burning and, and, and the light was supposed to be always on in there. And then right at the, the far end from the entrance was a golden 
altar, which was the altar of incense, okay. a smaller altar than the big bronze one out in the yep. courtyard. Yep. And on that, the priests were to burn this special incense, which would be a fragrant offering before the Lord right at the entryway, at the veil or the curtain into the most holy place, which right. was the last kind of third of this building. Yep. So, so that's, in, what, that's in, what the author's talking about in this first section and the lampstand and the bread and the holy place, yep. which is verse 2. But then in verse 3 is this curtain, this second curtain. So the first one gets you into the first place and the second curtain gets you into the second place. Cool. Yep. This second section, uh, which was the most holy place or the holy of holies, yep. which was the place where God dwelt. Yeah. That was the thing. So the Ark of the Covenant was there, wow. which was the golden box with handles that they the Israelites carried around, which had in it a couple of things, which the author of Hebrews lets us know. So there's the a copy of the Israelites' side of the covenant. Yeah. <laughs> so there was you know what we would call the Ten Commandments, but there's two tablets where uh, the the covenant that God made with Moses and the nation of Israel was recorded. Because didn't Moses make two? Like, there's, yeah, there's, two copies of them. Yes. And one got smashed and one, they kept one. Anyway, so the, this is in the, that's another discussion for another day. Uh, so there's a copy of that. There's also a jar with manna in it. Manna from the wilderness where yeah. God provided for them, where yeah. the Jew turned into bread. Yep, and six days a week, there would be food just literally outside their tents. But hold on, but it didn't last more than a day. No, but this does. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. All right. What else so, is in there? And then the third thing is um, Aaron's staff, or the, the top of Aaron's staff, I think. So Aaron is the uh, priest. Yeah, so he was Moses' brother. It became actually Moses's kind of spokesman because Moses said, yeah, I'll lead your people, but I stutter I the, and I don't the, 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 talk. But yep. like it says later in Hebrews, Moses didn't have a stutter. Moses had an excuse and wow. a brother. Um, <laughs> so Aaron becomes the the kind of the, the spokesperson for Moses on behalf of God. And so... Um, in, in the wilderness wanderings, there's this moment where there's a, a takeover bid for leadership and people are like, we want to be in charge. And they say, well, no, if, you, if God's really backing you, then God will show up. And so everyone put your staff down and the staff, the wooden stick that they have, whichever yep. one actually produces fruit miraculously overnight, will, they're the ones in charge. And it was and Aaron. So Aaron's staff produces almonds. Yum. Um, yeah. And roasted so, almonds. Probably not roasted. Not roasted fresh. Chuck on the barbie, and it might be roasted. And so um, Aaron's staff as well was in there. So this is inside this Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony, okay. um, which, which holds you know, the, the three really important things that God has miraculously done for the nation of Israel. All right. So, so that's in the box. Wow. That's all there in the box. Yep. The but Ark then, of the Covenant. Yeah. Of the Covenant. Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Or Testimony. Testament. Anyway. Wait, so you're saying that the Old Testament is also possibly called the Old Covenant? Well, it's all from the same word. Yeah. Anyway, that's a red herring. Let's not go there right now. <laughs> uh, but then on top of that, the, the box had a lid. Okay, of course it did because it has a lid. A yep. golden lid uh, and on it were two big angels, two cherubs. Cherubs. Cherubim uh-huh. uh, were on top. Uh, kind on of each is, side. Yeah, yep. facing inwards, uh-huh. facing each other across the lid of this, this ark. Uh, and between them or the top, the lid was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Yes. And so this was the spot in that holy place where um, the high priest would come once a year yep. and offer a sin offering 
for the nation of Israel. So it's on the Day, day of Atonement? Yeah, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, if you want to read up on there that. There you go. And so that's where the high priest would come to sprinkle blood to repent really on behalf of the whole of the nation of Israel. Yep. Wow. And so that's what the, the author of Hebrews is setting up here in these first five verses. Okay, so he says there's a tent, then there's a lampstand, then there's a bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Then there's a second curtain. Second curtain is called the most the most holy place. Then there's golden altar. There's incense. Then there's um, the golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, the tablets of the covenant, cherubim, mercy seat, of which... Things we cannot speak in detail. Not now. The author literally is like, look, it's we can't much, talk yeah. about it now. Yeah. There's too much here. Yeah. So we're in good company. We say, let's just, yeah. <laughs> uh, he says it again in chapter 11 when he's talking about all these heroes of the faith. The author he's just like, says, but there's look, we, don't have, we don't have time yeah. to yeah. talk about this. There's so much. There's so much richness in it. All right. So just briefly, we're going to we're get, We'll unpack it just a little bit more. Yeah. So I've already unpacked a whole bunch of that for you, hopefully. And you can go and read about all of this in Exodus. It's all there. Um, I love that. John's gospel starts with, in him was the life and life was the light of men. Yeah. I mean, there are some amazing resources on how Jesus fulfills every part of the tabernacle. So he is the lampstand. He's the, the light of the, the world. The light of the world. Yeah. And it is the bread of the presence. I'm the bread of life. He's a bread of life. Yep. Like this is more. Yep. It just goes it's on. So much, yeah. Okay, so That's, for you, what are the main points about this? Oh, look, I think, well, there's there's so much in there and the way that Jesus fulfills each of it is really powerful and speaks to the amazing nature of God's planning and preparation for us to understand who Jesus was. Like none of this was a surprise. Yeah. It was really powerful. But one thing that really sticks out to me, which leads us really into the next section, is this little uh, phrase, the mercy seat. All right, so in verse 5, we have this word kind of chucked in there yep. and explaining this Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat. Yeah, so where the angels were, uh, the glory of God rested on this mercy seat, which is this Greek word, hilasterion. It's hilarious. Oh, it's classic hilasterion. Come it's on. so bad. Come on, man. No, I'm not oh. going to go there. So <laughs> hilasterion uh, used only two places in the New Testament. Okay. So here, yep. describing the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The only other place it's mentioned is Romans 3.23. Romans chapter 3.23, which is one of the kind of a big verse on like what people would say, say like justification or like, you know, what Jesus has done for us. And so what does it say in, in Romans 3.23? So the actual words in verse 25, but the section starts okay. in 23. Yep. Uh, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Did you catch the mercy seat in there? No. Didn't hear it? I did not hear that, you. But that word is in there. Say mercy seat. No. Yeah. So in chapter, in verse 25, it says propitiation. It does. That's the same word. So it's the same Hilasterion. hilarious word. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So it says, you could read it this way, uh, Redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a mercy seat by his blood. Right. So the mercy seat, the place above the Ark of the Covenant, where, is, the, where the, the, the blood offering was offered, is the place where we are propitiated. 
where our sin is dealt with. Yeah. Yep. So Jesus is is the mercy seat. He is the place of the offering. He is the place where our sin is dealt with. Wow. So in him our wow. sin is dealt with. Paul got it in Romans, same word. Yeah. The author of Hebrews is going, but this is also not surprising. This is from the Old Testament, guys. Yeah. You knew wow. that this was going to happen. Jesus is the ultimate dealing with of our sins. Wow, 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 wow. So, therefore, chapter 9, verse 6, these preparations are all put in place. This whole thing was supposed to happen. The high priest had to do it over and over and over and over again. Yep. Every year had to come in and deal with people's sins because it was symbolic of what was really going to happen when Jesus died for us. Burn. Which leads us really into then the next big section of chapter 9, which picks up in verse 11, which really which takes us into this idea of the the ministry of the blood of Jesus. So as the blood yeah. in the Old Testament was always symbolic of life from Leviticus, we know that. Um, so the blood was offered on behalf of the sins. So when when someone sinned, it required a death penalty in the Old Testament understanding and what God set up. When you sin, when you step away from what I've designed you to do, it's going to cost your life. Yeah. Now, this actually comes really out of the whole idea of covenant because when a covenant was made, yeah. you're saying, I'm committing to you. Yeah. And if I break my covenant with you, then I will, I will die. I'll break like, my life. Yeah. Like I'll, yeah. I'll, my life is the penalty for breaking this covenant because yeah. this was all around like, you know, we will give you money and we will give you protection and we'll give you safety. And if you break our trust, yeah. it's going to cost you your life. Yeah. And they would mark these covenants by actually killing an animal going like this animal has now been killed. Yeah. It's symbolically representing what will happen to me literally if I break this covenant. So that's, that's actually what happens in Abraham. Yeah. In, in Genesis 15. In Abrahamic I think Abrahamic covenant. Yeah, so God says, I'm making a covenant with you. He puts Abraham to sleep. And like there's these animals that are killed and separated and then this smoking fire pot moves in this figure eight around these broken bits of animal. It's like it's a gory, horrible scene. But what the the covenant means is that breaking of covenants costs life. Yeah, right. So when you break covenant with God, it's going to cost life. And so in his grace, he says, well, I'm not going to take life from you, but you'll offer an offering. You'll kill something in order to deal with the death penalty that's upon you for breaking this covenant with me. Yeah. But the author of Hebrews is going, look, the problem is you had to keep doing it time and time and time again. Yeah. The high priest will go in every year and do this again because, verse 13 of chapter 9, if the blood of goats and bulls was enough for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Jesus deal with this? Mm. Really, it's my kind of um, <laughs> summary of it. Yeah. Because it says later, it says in verse 4 of chapter 10, jumping ahead, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Yeah. So they were doing something which covered over, which momentarily dealt with the broken relationship and broken covenant, but it couldn't fix it forever. Yeah. This is why back in chapter 8, for the fault was with them. They couldn't keep my covenant because the sin couldn't be dealt with. It was never actually at a, at a heart level overcome, mm. which is why we needed Jesus to come because his blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats. It's, what does it say? Better than the blood of Abel, isn't it? On it. That's, that, dude, that's spoilers. That's chapter oh, 12. Sorry. 
speaks of a better covenant than the blood of Abel. <sighs> Intimacy and proximity. Anyway, we'll get there. It's mm. chapter 12. All right, so this whole idea of blood, uh, pretty well, yeah, chapter 9. Uh, wow, really 11 through to like kind of 17, he's talking about blood and and the, the power of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there was actually no forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's verse 22. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, chapter 9. And even in uh, in Exodus 24, that's the picture we get, that Moses actually, um, I think he sacrifices an animal and then he puts half of it on the altar and then he like sprinkles half of it on the people as yep. well. Yep. Which is real weird. We actually get more info here about what was happening in Leviticus than they give us in Leviticus. True. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually That's true. more yeah. practical. Like this is what it actually looked like. So they would sprinkle the blood on everyone. So look, so this is the whole kind of idea you gotta get back to. And this is the argument that the author is building on is that if humanity's been involved in doing it, it's broken and defiled and sinful. Because it's the, the it's the state of humanity without God is yep. sinful, yep. and so something had to die even just to clean up the people and the all the stuff that they needed to use in order to come back to God. So you needed to purify the tabernacle, and even even the covenant had to be purified with blood, sprinkled with blood, yep. dealt with the altar, so that the, yep. yeah, so that you could come into relationship with God. And so all of this stuff is talking about this. And, and it all had to happen. Moses had to do it. Mm. It says in verse um, 20, quoting Exodus, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Like you had to sprinkle everything with blood. Mm. Interestingly enough, Jesus takes those words and oh switches it up at the Last Supper and says, this is That's right. my blood of the new covenant, of the covenant yeah. that God has commanded you. And this, so this covenant what, is in my blood, not in the in the blood of animals. And so in John six, when he says to his disciples in front of the, <laughs> the Jewish leaders, he's yeah. like, "All right, guys, whoever wants to follow me, you just eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yep. Like, come on, this is what I'm calling you to." And that would have been Freaks radical yeah. because you were actually banished from drink from eating any. Yeah, Leviticus any said animal. you can't eat meat with the blood still in it because the the blood itself refers to the life yeah like we said before it refers to the life um and so when the blood is separated from the flesh the present life of that animal is gone exactly like, right it's finished. Yeah, it literally says the life is in the blood yep. in leviticus like like it makes it, there's no gray area straight up blood life same same that's it and so i guess this whole reference to blood the only thing really to remember is that when any author in the New Testament is mentioning the blood of Christ, what they're saying is everything that Jesus did on the cross is summarized in that, that the blood of Christ is actually good enough. It's better than, and it's the best way for salvation. Yeah, that's and so, playing on this whole big picture. So the blood of Christ refers to the death. It refers to the resurrection. It refers to everything. So when the author says the blood of Christ, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right. When it gets to verse 15 in the chapter 9, now it kind of gets weird and seems to change gears. And a lot of commentaries will say, well, the author's now kind of landing it in the Greco-Roman world and using kind of local Greek Roman law to talk about wills and testaments and inheritances, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which I've always kind of thought, oh, I, I could kind of work it around and talking about Jesus dying, but not he came back and so he's dead. So we get 
access to the inheritance that a yeah. will leaves you. But it, I was just reading a, a commentary that I just got, um, the ESV expository commentary, which is a really good commentary. Um, and it was actually took it a different way because the word for will there is in fact the same word as covenant. Huh. It's the same thing. And so it's in a, in a practical, legal kind of domestic sense, yeah. that same word meant the will I would leave to my family or to yeah. my friends when I die. Yeah. Um, but that makes sense. It does. But also they were saying, well, if you take the, it's talking about, um, you know, wills only happen when someone dies. And so no will can happen without blood being pre- presented or the, the death being proven. And the death then redeems the, the benefits of the covenant and yep. all that kind of stuff or the will. Um, I was saying that they were so serious about this covenant that when they pointed to the animal that had been killed, saying that is my death there. Like that's my death when I break this covenant. That animal's death is my death. Right. And right. so when that animal dies, the covenant is invoked. So yeah. when the death of Christ happened, the covenant is invoked. So good. And so it's kind of, it gets a little bit confusing, but because of that, because of the sacrifice that was made, the covenant is invoked. So good. I love it. I yeah. love it. And so the the new covenant doesn't actually start in Matthew chapter 1. No. It starts at the crucifixion of Jesus. Yeah. And the really. resurrection of Jesus. Which which we kind of know because Jesus even makes that statement in a really roundabout way saying John is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. True. But the least in the kingdom is greater than John. But he also says repent the kingdom is here. So he's kind of saying it is now. But it's now like, and not yet. <laughs> yeah. Complicated. Um, but that makes sense, the whole will thing, because in order, if I was to make a will for um, my now unborn child, then like they would only receive that inheritance um, once I pass away. Like unless you're like the prodigal son who's wanting the inheritance right here, right now, it only happens when that person passes away. And so the same with Jesus is that once he's died, once he has passed away, then that inheritance is available. Which, by the way, this hit me the other day. Do you guys realize that God actually died? Like, I know we say it all the time, but just try to wrap your heads around that, that Jesus actually, it's not just, it's not just a theory. It's like he actually died. Yeah, and that's what this, this whole bit is about, that mm. God actually died. And because of that, he actually then made a way for us to know him, which we're getting to in chapter mm. 10. Yeah, so chapter 9 really rounds out then um, with kind of tying up the all of the tabernacle talk. Yep. So it leads us into this, the sacrificial part of it in chapter 10. And the author is, again, so clever, so, so smart, so... Um, Inspired. Thoughtful and inspired <laughs> and elegant in their, their use of metaphor and imagery. And so talking about the first and second parts of the tabernacle, the holy place and the most holy place, kind of playing us off this idea of the first and the second covenants and the progression of moving into the holy place, uh, which we've already had from chapter four, where we approach the throne of grace, which is the mercy seat where the high priest sat down. Wow. Like it's yep. all building and it's all kind of keeping on moving because it says, um, you know, in verse 28 of chapter nine, Christ having offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. He's moving forward first to second constantly. 
not to deal with sin the second time, but to those to save those who are waiting for him. Like mm. it's this this once happens second time coming. There's this constant playing yeah. off of pictures and imagery. Um, but really, I think the most important thing in chapter nine that we have to say before we move on to chapter ten to to just wrap it up and finish it off um, is in verse twenty six of chapter nine. Um, making it clear that Jesus' sacrifice is better than any sacrifice offered before. But as it is, it says, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His sacrifice once only for all. Hmm. The old sacrifice was every year for the nation of Israel, but this sacrifice is once for all. So you don't have to crucify Jesus again. You don't have to. There's no repeated action required. What Jesus has done is sufficient, all covering for everyone who needs it. Oh, my goodness. I was saying some good stuff in that one, I think. <laughs> that was good. No, but that stuff on the blood, man, yeah. that's so cool. And mm. it it is pretty crazy to think that, yeah, the blood, is not just a nice little symbol, but it mm. actually kind of carried weight, but you know, yeah. of life and death. You know, mm. it's in the blood, and in the blood, and just that awesome picture that man, the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. Yeah, and man, I heard it said the other week is so awesome. The mercy seat was the lid of that ark mm. of the covenant, which was in the middle of the temple. And inside of the ark, obviously, we've talked about this. We talked about there being, um, you know, the rod of Aaron, which butted, butted yep. uh, then the stone tablets. Yes. And the manna. And the manna as well. Mm. And um, yeah, this preacher was saying that obviously on the tablets, um, that kind of symbolized the law. And that, hit in his perspective, symbolized judgment. Mm. And he just so beautifully said that mercy triumphs over. Judgment. Literally, the mercy seat is what is over the top of judgment. It's over the top. And yeah, love it. That that awesome picture that where the blood is spilt, there we have atonement and there we have mercy and grace given to us. Even when you just start to stop and think about that, because James actually explicitly says, he says that mercy up. triumphs over judgment, yeah. but knowing that he's actually referring to this much so bigger cool. picture and so this cool. lived and visible reality of God. It's awesome. Yeah, so good. Love it. Well, um, for our final little grab, we're going to jump into uh, another yeah favorite episode. Man, mm. this guy is incredible. Like um, you hardly... We hardly saw, I think, what God's done in th- in His life and through mm. Him. We've actually read His textbooks in Bible college. Yeah. We 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 <laughs> sat down, did a class on Deuteronomy, and we read this guy. <laughs> yeah, and then we find out he's in our city. He's in our city teaching Bible courses. Teaching Bible, yeah, crazy. So it was pretty cool to like sit down with him across the table. And man, the bit that you'll hear here is awesome. You can really tell that he loves people and he yeah. loves the church, and he's excited to see what God's going to do continually through this. So this is actually um, part of our Bible overview series. Mm. I think it's episode number five or six or something, which is on the latter prophets. And this is Dr. Gary Miller. For some of us, you know, our, our great need is to say, is to remember that actually 
that Jesus coming, his death and resurrection, the fact the Spirit's being poured out on the church, that actually does make a difference. Yeah. You know, that it is good to be a follower yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. You know, he came to give us life to the full yeah. that starts now. But for at other times, or for some other people, we need to realize it starts now, but it goes on forever. Yeah. What, we, what we have now is an anticipation, mm. but it's an anticipation that's actually enjoyed in a world that continues to be broken, where yeah. people are yeah. still mean to us. Wow. You know, and you know, you guys know this, kind yeah, of, yeah. But as well as me, awesome. you know, that, that trying, to, trying to get, you know, trying to, to help people to understand it's actually not, it's either not their fault or abnormal when things go wrong or they find it hard or people let them down or we struggle or, you know, the church isn't always in perpetual glorious advance. You know, we go through seasons. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's, you know, thank God when that's the case and we long for that. But but actually what we're ultimately waiting for is all things to be straightened out in the new creation. And until then, it'll be tough. But the message of the prophets is very clear that that. God will bring salvation yes. yeah. out of judgment, yeah. you know, that he will bring healing beyond the pain, but that sometimes what we have to do is submit mm. and walk through the, the difficult periods faithfully, knowing that he is both with us and for us mm. and will do what he's promised. That's awesome. So in, in hearing that, yeah, and we talked earlier about that big span of, of history that's covered um, how much do you think Israel at the time, like we're aware of this, if we're covering you know, 100 years, 150 years between like Isaiah and some of the other prophets, like are these guys who, you know, just provincial guys who talk to a couple of hundred people in their village and say, God's saying repent. And then the people on the other side of the country kind of, I'd never heard of this Isaiah guy or, um, mm. you know, or how much is it like, is it to, again, to use a, hoity-toity term, how much was it the zeitgeist? How much was everyone thinking about this? And yep. we're all, as a nation, thinking, well, we should know that they're crazy or they're not crazy. Or is it just localized? And hmm. when we get to the Jeremiah's who are obviously speaking in Jerusalem to the leaders, but do, do the others remember Isaiah? Yeah. Like, is it, or do we have the benefit of it's all stuck in one book and so we can read it one after another? That's a great question that's almost impossible to answer. Oh, so, but, but I think there are some things, you know, for example, Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah uh, lives in Jerusalem, works in and around Jerusalem, goes to Egypt, but also writes to the, the Babylonians, uh, writes to those who go into Babylon in exile. Mm. So you take one example, and we probably know more about how the book of Jeremiah came about than any of the others, just yeah, the way in which it's right. written. So there you have a book that's known in Jerusalem, in Egypt, and in Babylon. And that's actually reflected in kind of the manuscript traditions. Okay. You know, that, so, so there was certainly... So it's widespread. It's widespread, mm. yeah. Um, you know, and and wh- when Israel... It seems that it's in Babylon that the, the synagogue movement is born. Mm-hmm. So we don't have much. You know, we can't plot you know, this precisely. But after the exile, when they come back... Pretty soon, they start to move away from kind of temple-centered to local synagogues. And it's at that time that that kind of every synagogue has a copy of the scrolls. Mm -hmm. You know, so Mm -hmm. there's certainly 
relatively quick dissemination. So like Babylon still is that kind of choke point, really, isn't it? Yeah. Everything comes into that place, yeah. and so maybe yeah. they didn't know beforehand, but by the end of it, they're they all knew. That's right, and everyone's there together. And they are actually answering the big questions. I mean, mm. for example, you know, the books of Kings are almost certainly written in Babylon yeah. because they're going, how did we end up here? Mm. And part of the answer is Ezekiel's ministry, and part of the answer is the books of Kings. Mm. You know, we ended up because all our kings were rubbish <laughs> and, we dis- <laughs> and we disobeyed God for, yeah. you know, for 500 years. You know, but that's where... Babylon, you know, Babylon for 70 years was asking those hard questions wow. and the, whatever whatever was there before and however these things you know, kind of play it out when you've got everybody there together effectively, all the leaders there seems to be this crystallization mm-hmm. of, of what God has been teaching them. Again, yeah. just seeing the yeah. grace amidst what looked like at the surface horrific circumstances, yeah. God bringing that all together yeah. and, and clarifying everything, yeah, yeah. yeah. really powerful. Awesome. Well, perhaps uh, a good way to finish would be just to look at Jonah. It's mm. a bit of an odd one out um, for various reasons. Um, but actually, I think it's very helpful for us as Christians looking in to yeah to the Old Testament and also yeah into these minor prophets. So I guess quick overview, Jonah seems to be a bit of an odd one out for yep. various reasons. Yep. He, he's the one, he's the only prophet that doesn't doesn't really doesn't really speak any words from God. It's more of a narrative. It's a like narrative. A plot. No, he's named up front as a prophet, yes. you know, so kind of worked for the king. That he's actually works. mentioned in Second Kings. And um, Jesus mentioned him And Jesus as well. mentions him, yeah. Um, but but we get we get all of his story, well, a, sna- a part of his life story mm. in the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And unlike Jeremiah, for example, you get, you know, you get lots of his internal dialogue, but it's a very specific focus that, that mm. plays a part in the, in the rest of the book. For Jonah, it, it, this is the story. Yes. And basically, God sends him to the Assyrians, <laughs> which is just an outrageous thing to do. Um, he doesn't want to go. Uh, and he actually says, you know, I really don't want to go because I think you're going to forgive the Assyrians. There's something beautifully unsubtle yeah. about him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't pretend. You know, he doesn't give the godly answer. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, no Sunday school I'll, answers. I'll go. I'm, sh- you know, and, and secretly thinking, nah, God will never do it. He, he actually, he, he knows. He's like, I bet he forgives the Assyrians, uh-huh. and so he resists and tries to rebel. So it's one of those things that God actually does work mm. in the lives of the of the Assyrians who repent. But it's not really about the Assyrians. It's about Jonah. And the trajectory of his journey. And I, I mean, if you want to cheat in any book of the Bible, just go straight to the end. Yeah. And Jonah's weird really odd. Because it ends, really well, weird it ends up, Jonah gets really cranky with God because his plant dies. And God's, <laughs> God says, oh my you're concerned about the plant. Should I not be concerned with this great city? And then he actually says, and the cattle. Yes. You know, because like even cattle are more important, you know, more important than yeah. plants, you know, in the, in the hierarchy of things. <laughs> and it's left open ended like that because the challenge of Jonah is actually do we get the fact that God has, has a heart for all the yeah. nations? Mm-hmm. Wow. That the gospel, even at this stage, that the gospel has this implicit, embedded hope for all people. Mm. Now, I presume the fact that we have the book of Jonah. You know, implies that he does get that. 
you know, that, yes. you know we wouldn't go to the stake for that, but I, th- I think <laughs> that's where the book's driving. But it's interesting along the way, you know, you, Jonah resists God, you know, and it is, I mean, it is quite darkly humorous. You know? Yeah, I've heard like, it described. Like, it could be a farce. I know. Kind of almost like a, you know, a comedy. Bit of a I mean, not like, you know, figurative. I, like. Is the one, you know, Israelites didn't like sailing. You yeah. know, they were scared of the ocean. <laughs> so what, you know, if you're running, I mean, if I'm going to run away from God, I think... I think I'd try to find like a, a, a unit somewhere, yeah. you know, just like tucked out of the yeah. way. I wouldn't want to get on either a plane or a boat, you yes. know. <laughs> Jonah gets on a boat, you know, God intervenes, God rescues him. But, but what's it? Throw what's a in, fish. Yeah, a very large one. But what's intriguing about chapter two, and sometimes this gets lost in kind of, you know, I think ultimately pointless discussions about the fish because you know, yeah. it just says he was swallowed by a fish. Move on. No, yeah. was it um, a blue whale? Yeah, or was it a right, shark? Exactly. It? And how did he breathe? Yeah. And, on, and on all this stuff. But but when you look, chap, the funny thing about chapter two is Jonah quotes a psalm, and he quotes the right psalm because the psalm ends with the words "Salvation belongs to the Lord," which is exactly the issue. Yeah. And I don't wow. think I don't think Jonah believes it. He can sing the okay. psalm, but he hasn't actually changed. Wow! Because what happens when he when he's kind of spat out by the fish, and he goes to Nineveh, and I think the the message he preaches is just about as minimal <laughs> as you can get away with. Come on, it's like, like you're us. going to hell, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then they all repent. By yeah. the, way, the whole that's city. right. Yes, that's right. Like yes. the whole city. Yeah. And these are bad people. These yeah. are Syrians. The king of Assyria. Yeah. And 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 they remember. I mean, we, I talked about this earlier. You know. You know, if you had to pick the Babylonians or the Assyrians, I'm going with the Babylonians, <laughs> yeah. you know, because th- they'll not just kill you. You know, there's at least some chance that you can persuade them you might be an asset to their economy. <laughs> the Assyrians couldn't care less. Yeah, you know, yeah. they didn't, Assyrians didn't try to convert people or anything. <laughs> they just killed them, you know. Yeah. Up with his head. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to go. He, you know, it's like, I suppose you can be saved, but really you're going to hell. You know, it was as persuasive as that. <laughs> and then, he, then they all repent and he goes, I knew you were going to do that, God. That's that's the kind of God you are. Yeah. You know, and he manages to say the uh, right things with exactly the wrong <laughs> attitude. You know, yeah. and it's like uh, salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. yeah. You know, Gritted so, teeth. Yeah. yeah. So the whole way through, Jonah comes out of it really badly. <laughs> but but it's it's open ended at the end, mm. and and I think you know we don't really know. I mean. We don't know when Jonah was written, but I mean, Jonah seemed to live in that space between the Assyrian, the Northern Kingdom being destroyed and the Southern Kingdom going off to Babylon. But at that time, you know, you're under threat all the time Mm. from whoever happened to be on top. You know, the Assyrians for a hundred years or so, and then the Babylonians come and crush the Assyrians and then everybody's scared of the Babylonians, understandably. For a season till yeah, the next lot. That's right, yeah. till the yeah. next lot. You know, the Persians take over and so on. You know, so so you've got it's a time of fear. Yeah. You know, and you've got the Edomites. I mean, I think it's is it um, Obadiah. Yeah. It, it's aimed at the Edomites who appear to be taking advantage of Israel's weakness. You know, it's like the Babylonians crush them and then, you know, the, the Edomites come in and kind of poke them when they're lying <laughs> on the ground. You know, it's that, you know, so. More than usual, they're aware of the nations around them. And one of the standout things about these prophets is that 
that it's it's the sins of Israel, Judah, and the nations, and the hope for Israel, Judah, and the yeah. nations. Wow. And and that's why Jonah actually plays a really key role in in the overall message of this part mm. of the Bible, because God's saying, do you believe that I am sovereign? Do you believe that I'm the Lord of the nations? Do you believe that I'm the God of salvation yeah. and judgment? Wow. And in that sense, there are calls for us to go, this God is much bigger, much more marvelous, much more generous, much more holy, wow. uh, much more intense than, than I'd realized up to this point. Mm. And it calls us to kind of bow gladly before mm. him, to submit to him, and, and to realize that actually salvation does belong to the Lord. And he will work in judgment, but he will also work in salvation. I love how it's just open-ended and it almost draws us in. It almost yeah. is like, wow, as the reader, we are a part of that now because it's, yeah. it's, it's not finished. It's almost yeah. like, yeah, but, we're a part But of it, it does remind us that God said this to Abraham. This has been the story all along. Yep, that's yeah. right. Yep. So he's not changed the topic or the message, no. but it's open-ended, so that's there's true. a place. Yeah, yeah. and that's right. And you get you get to Revelation, and what do you find? You find this great crowd of people from every wow. tribe, nation, tongue. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's yeah. what they're saying. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Cool. I guess I've got only one more question. <laughs> only one. Uh, no, wow. many more questions. <laughs> um, but as an encouragement to a youngster and to a pastor and yep. to our listeners and to you know whoever else is tuning in from around the world. Um, why have you committed your life to this book? Why, like, what in it? What? Why do you study this thing, and why do you long to share it with us? What What is it for you? Um, because life's only found in the Lord Jesus, and God has revealed the Lord Jesus to us by His Spirit through the pages of the Bible. Because it's it's life. Um, I was up in Townsville last last Friday. It was interesting. They asked me to speak on on what what happens when we die, and I was just struck <laughs> that nobody has. There are no other answers to that question, you know, other than those that God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ, as as revealed in the pages of the Bible. Wow. You know, it's not even. There are lots of issues where it's kind of competing ideologies, and mm. everyone has their opinion. But you know, I was just reminded again that actually, ultimately, wow. the only answers are in, are in Christ. Mm. Because when it comes to that, everyone else is reduced to saying things like, well, you know, I'm not sure what there is, I'm not sure there is anything, I hope we'll be all right, we might see each other again, but it's all just guesswork. <laughs> so it's like a Harley. You it know? was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but there are, no, there are no other, no one else has got anything sensible to say in that space. It really is only Jesus, and I think for me, you know, that 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 it's because when I read when I read the Old Testament, I am just always pushed forward to Jesus, and given the categories, have my thinking shaped, prepared for Jesus coming, and when Jesus shows up, he just goes, "Yep, I'm doing that and that and that and that and that and that." And that. From the Old Testament, yeah. that is being that is being fulfilled, mm. and and things are sharpened and crystallized and brought to life but I think overall I'm utterly convinced this is one book one message and Jesus stands at the center towering over everything wow just so good I mean apart from the awesome accent oh. just hearing his pastoral heart in the midst just of biblical incredible. studies 
That's that's shocking. Come on. Oh no. Give anyway. us a break. Give us a brick. A yeah. break or brick. And on that bombshell. <laughs> That will bring us to the end of this oh, yeah. episode. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. If this is your first episode, there's a whole year's worth of content for you to jump back oh, yeah. into, of which you've just heard a little bit. If you've been journeying with us this whole way through, thank you for sticking with us. We are super excited for what the future holds. We've been planning and dreaming about oh, yeah. where we can go next and what we can do. And uh, got all sorts of great ideas. Uh, but more than anything, we are just hoping to lead you into an encounter with God through his, his word as it's been revealed to us. So I hope that this has encouraged you to read your Bible, but not just to read it because you want to know it, but read it so that you can fall more in love with Jesus. And so get into it, read it more, and uh, hopefully this has helped you do that. And we'll be back in a little bit with something new. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.